Hi, everyone, and welcome to podcast four of Wise Woman with guest Aaron Zykus. In this podcast, we talk about India as our greatest teacher, starting a nonprofit, guilt being paralyzing and how to move through that, failed aid projects around the world. We talk about traveling in Israel and Haiti, ideas of success and how that idea is always changing, glamorizing, doing the work and failing. Success is supporting other people, our lessons from 2018, the idea that nobody has it figured out, and that's okay. This is a great one. We hope you enjoy. featuring leading voices in 2019, supporting women to fully show up, connect to their feminine, authenticity, and truth. I am your host, Erin Rachel Doppelt, bringing light to the marriage between Eastern practices and Western psychology, while encouraging you to show up for yourself and the world around you. May this be your time to shine. May you show up. I am super pumped about today's guest. We have Erin Zykus with us. Erin is the founder of Sundara, an organization that recycles hotel soap and is operated across India, Uganda, and Myanmar. Sundara hires widows, victims of domestic violence, and single mothers, employing them at fair wage and training them to become community hygiene ambassadors. Sundara has distributed over half a million bars of soap to date, reaching over 50,000 children each month and working with partners like Hilton, Hyatt, and Marriott. Erin has been recognized by the Huff Post, BBC, CNN, and the government of India in their Swatch Bharat, which means Clean India campaign. She is a Forbes 30 under 30 and winner of Mark Fisher's Make Your Own Mark Award and Summit Series Impact and Diversity Fellowship. Erin, yay, so happy to see you. Welcome to Wise Woman. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here talking with you today. There's nothing else I would rather be doing right now. Amazing. Me as well. Erin and I connected when I was working in the slums of Mumbai and I came across Sundara, her incredible organization. Tell us more about Sundara. Yeah, of course. Um, So I just want to start off by saying that Sometimes we have moments where we think, kind of like pinch ourselves and say, is this really my life? Um, I don't know about you, but when I was in college, I really wanted to be a doctor, a scientist, own a business. Um, It's kind of crazy that I'm almost 10 years out of college and I'm essentially recycling trash for a living. but it's been an incredible journey. And so um, essentially what Sundara is, is like you said, um, an organization that's dedicated to um, making sure that soap reaches people who need it the most. Um, A few years ago, actually six or seven years ago, I was living in Thailand on the border with Myanmar. Um, And it was the first time in my life where I actually thought about soap because I was working in a village with children on a refugee camp. And I noticed that they didn't have any soap, not in schools, not in homes, nowhere. Um, And there wasn't even a place to purchase soap. So one day I brought them soap um, 
And I kind of watched in horror as they opened it and were scratching it with their nails and balancing on their heads. One of the children who was 13 just took a bite of the soap. Um, and they really didn't know what it was. And it kind of was a, a slap in the face to realize that these people had been living their entire lives without something I took for granted every single day of mine. Um, and it really pushed me to, to think about everything else I took for granted and use my privilege to do something uh, that could help empower other people. So yeah, um, I've been on this journey since 2013. Um, and it's such a pleasure to talk with you and talk to other uh, social entrepreneurs about their work and understanding and learn from them. Beautiful. And you've clearly done amazing work. Sundara has reached so many people. What was that process of birthing this company? Yeah. Um, well, the process was definitely not linear. Um, and I think there's this phrase, I'm not sure if they apply it to children or companies or nonprofits or what, but it's like, if you knew how hard it would be, you would have never started. <laughs> you would have never had the kid or you would have never built the company. Um, because it's much harder than I ever thought it was going to be. Um, in, yeah, in 2013, I moved to India on a whim. Um, I had won this pitch uh, from LinkedIn. It was a social enterprise pitch, and I got uh, this big check for $10,000, and I said to myself, I'm moving to India to pilot this idea um, until the money runs out. And, of course, the money did run out. Um, and... But I was really lucky to start this work um, and be at the right place at the right time. Um, in 2013, India passed this mandatory CSR Act, which requires that all companies um, of like medium and large size have to donate 2% um, of their profits back into registered charitable trusts. Um, so Sundar did become a registered charitable trust in India. And we were kind of able to pivot our model into a fee-for-service um, component. So that helped us become self-sufficient in, like, economically self-sufficient in a way that not a lot of organizations have been able to. Um, so that was the good. That's something that I'm really proud of. Um, but the bad is that starting your own company and... Um, and keeping it going on the days when you really don't want to and the days when you want to give up is so exhausting. Um, and through the process, I've definitely like had times where I neglect self-care, um, where I've prioritized work over friendships and family um, and have just done things that I felt like weren't connected to my true self. So I think um, these past few years especially have been more about finding balance than prioritizing achievement. And that's something I, that I certainly didn't do in the first few years of this work either. Brilliant. It's so important to remember why we started and who provided the basis of us to even explore opportunities like this, which really is the, the base of Maslow's hierarchy, the safety, security, comfort, food, shelter, our family, our friends, our community. Definitely. I I hear you to the core. How was living in India those first couple months starting Sundara? Um, wow. Well, you know how challenging it can be uh, to move to India and live there as a foreigner, as someone um, who's not familiar with all the cultural context that comes with living and working in India. Um, 
And India is a place that I feel like is, maybe you agree here, it's like the greatest teacher you can have. Um, and it tests you in every single way possible. And I never go to India and think, wow, this is relaxing and enjoyable. Um, but because it's such an intense place, I feel like it's always teaching me something either about myself or the world. Um, and one of the reasons why I was really insistent on piloting this work out in India and doing the majority of our work in that country is because when I was 19, I had this transformative experience where I first came to Mumbai to spend a few months in an orphanage. Um, and I connected with this one young girl named Priyanka. She was um, 10 years old when I met her. And I was the first white person uh, she'd ever met. And she heard a rumor in her village that white people could read palms. Um, so she was just like convinced that I could read her palm. And every day she would come to um, my bedroom and she would insist on having me read her palm. And after three or four days, I got tired of telling her I didn't know how. So I finally was like, all right, sure. Um, and I just started pulling up stories. Oh, you're going to be a firefighter and you'll live in London and you'll move to New York and you'll have five kids. And, you know, the next day it was another story. And I think she really, really loved it. Um, and I was the first person in her life, looking back, who was telling her that she could be whatever, do whatever she wanted in a society that was telling her, no, you can only be this. Um, and her backstory is that she was born to a prostitute and like, essentially like a village drunkard in a small town in Uttar Pradesh. And when she was seven, um, her mother found out that she, uh, that her husband had many other wives and children and she poured kerosene on herself and lit herself on fire in front of her daughter. And then, um, her daughter, uh, sorry, Priyanka was sent to live with her grandmother, uh, who was disabled and didn't really know her granddaughter and decided to essentially send her to a brothel for three years. Um, and it was a few months before I had come that she uh, managed to escape the brothel and come to Mumbai. Uh, the long story, uh, like the abbreviated version of it, is that uh, a few months later, this girl, Priyanka, died of AIDS, HIV. And um, it, was real, it was a real slap in the face uh, because here in the U.S., I think we are raised with this idea that, you know, hard work breeds success and do unto others. Um, and we believe that if we work hard, if we do good things, that our work, that our lives will be great. Um, and here was a story of this girl who, because of reasons outside of her control, had had, quite frankly, a really shitty life. Um, and, and then it ended when she was 10. And it cemented this idea that life is unfair and life is cheap in some places, in so many places around the world. Um, and the only difference between her and I is that I won the birth lottery just because of where I was lucky to be born and who I was lucky to be born to, and she had lost it. Um, and so for the next few years, I felt just plagued with guilt that here I was living in the U.S., going to college, being healthy, having parents who supported my education, um, and she had none of that. But then I also realized that feeling guilty will do absolutely nothing for the world. Um, and if you can transform that feeling into empowerment and solidarity, then I think it's a win for everyone. Um, 
And to be fair, a lot of the times people will say to me, you know, okay, so your work is impacting 50,000, 60,000 children a month. That's great. But you're working in a country with 1.4 billion people. Um, and it's a fair point. But I think that if we can take our privilege and instead of feeling guilty about it, do something, even something small to help level the playing field so that our sisters across the globe in countries like that where they're really still struggling are able to have a better life, then I think that even just for those few people, 40 people, five people, one person, it's worth it. Um, and so my dream is for more people to think that way um, and realize that for the one person they impact, it's enough. It's so easy to get overwhelmed by the scale of the problems in the world. Uh, especially when we read the news, we start being really pessimistic. It's natural to think that way. Um, but I just want to be a voice to tell people to that, no, that's not the case. And you need to be doing what you want, what you believe in. And for the people that you impact, that's going to be enough. I always talk about this with my clients, how feeling guilty is information and it's one of the energies or feelings we can use to really show up and maybe go out there and do the work that the world desperately needs. I, yeah. I hear you. I felt something similar and that's really what encouraged me to go to Mumbai and serve in the slums and show up for that community. Yeah. But don't you think that sometimes guilt just feels paralyzing? And what do you tell people to do when they feel that way? Guilt is paralyzing until it encourages that major shift. So all of these strong emotions, they can be paralyzing. Guilt is a specific one because it's really rooted in a lot of our lineages. And it's even encouraged in some of our families, like yeah. to guilt yourself into doing something. Um, but it's different when it's, I feel guilty for the fact that I was born in Chicago. And when you feel guilt for something that you have absolutely no control over, yeah. how are you going to use that information to show up for the world around you? Right. And sitting with that and understanding, choosing the places where you want to facilitate the change and then going out there and doing that work. Sure, it can be paralyzing. The hope is that we overcome it through breath, through purpose, through choice. Yeah. How much time collectively have you spent in India? Um, gosh, I've been going for the past 10 years. And I try and go a few times a year. And sometimes I've stayed for, you know, a few months and sometimes just a couple of weeks. I would say in aggregate, like two years. Uh, but definitely split up over a lot of time. Fabulous. And you travel everywhere. You travel excessively. Where have you been recently? Where are you going? What are some of your favorite places? Yeah, uh, I just got back from a trip to Haiti, uh, which is a very difficult place to go. Um, there's definitely this sense of failed aid projects. The country received $13 billion of aid after the earthquake and still um, pretty much everyone that I met there was only eating one meal a day, didn't have access to electricity, running water. Um, so many children weren't in school. And I think that was heartbreaking to see um, that there was a flood of aid work. And um, in the end, it was a lot of misplaced funds. 
And um, so that was a place I came back from that I thought was very difficult and humbling. Um, some of my favorite places, uh, I, I think um, last year I traveled 85% of the time, uh, which is, I would say that's a little too much to travel, but um, it's still just a pleasure to see the world. Some of my favorite places are um, Ethiopia is really incredible. I encourage everyone to go. There's great food. Um, the people are so devout and spiritual. Um, the country only receives 200,000 visitors a year, and it's a country of 100 million people. And just for comparison, um, France receives 82 million people a year. So you go to villages and you have the entire town to yourself. Um, and that's a really special place. I went there after a, a very painful breakup. And I think that it was very, um, it was like very soothing. It was kind of my eat, pray, love journey. Another place that I really love and feel connected to, and I think you're with me on this, is Israel. Um, I could spend so much time there. And every time I leave the country, I think I want to spend more time here. I want to understand this country better. Um, food, the people. Um, I, I love it so much. I always come back feeling really inspired and positive. Um, because when you're there in the country, you see all the things that aren't in the news. Um, and that's what I like to do is just broaden my horizons. And uh, I am planning a trip to West Africa. Um, I think next month, it's always been on my bucket list. So I have a little bit of free time and I'm hoping to um, try out Ghana or Senegal. So um, if anyone has any recommendations, please send them my way. Fabulous. West Africa, that sounds incredible. And I totally agree. Israel is such a, speci such a special place. I was living there before I was living in India and it really, the energy there is what inspired me to use that guilt to really show up and do some good work in the world. And eat, pray, love. I mean, that's how I lived my life for a while. After reading the book, I, I sat down with it and I really thought, where would I eat? Where would I pray? Where would I love? And yeah. I ate. Those places. I ate in Florence, Italy. Yeah. Um, that was my study abroad in college. It was a pivotal point in my life and best 15 pounds I ever gained. <laughs> and then okay. I loved in Israel, and then prayed in India. Yeah, it's a great place to do all of that. Where's next on your travel bucket list for 2019? Where are you hoping to go? I have a couple, I have a couple things in the work, in works right now. Um, I head to Miami this weekend, Austin for South by Southwest. I have my retreat in Mexico, May 2 to 7 this May. Um, and it looks like I have an opportunity to come teach in Costa Rica in March to be determined launching India retreat early January, 2020 and Israel. Actually, we're going to do an Israel retreat September, 2019. So anyone listening, if you're ready to show up and do some work for yourself, works, work for the world around you, there are many opportunities to connect. Great. You've got a busy year and then, already. Yes. And then hopefully in India, we'll be able to work with Sundara, bring in some of that programming into the retreat. Um, yeah. So you can really understand what Aaron does. <laughs> Thank you. 
So we always talk about how success not being linear. Can you yeah. talk more about organizing the nonprofit world and some elements attached to that? Sure. Um, so you're talking about like um, how my success hasn't been linear or like how nonprofit success has been? Both. All right. Um, yes. So I think my success hasn't been linear because my idea of success is always changing. And I think that is because um, we're always striving for something and we get it and then all of a sudden it doesn't make us happy. Like what is the term when the happiness wears off when we get what we want? There's definitely a term for it. Um, but I, I realized um, only recently that you do this work because you fall in love with the challenges and the successes and the failures, and it's usually the failures, and it's the journey itself um, and not the pinnacle moment because the pinnacle moment only lasts for a hot second before you start desiring something else. Um, I was listening to another podcast um, a couple of weeks ago, and this guy was talking about how um, we go to the gym and we envy the man who has like ginormous biceps, who's benching, you know, 350. Uh, but what we should be admiring and who we should be aspiring to um, is the person in the gym who's in a wheelchair uh, with two pound weights, who can't walk, um, because it takes so much more for that person to show up. And um, to like, this person doesn't see anyone who looks like them at the gym. Um, but is prioritizing their health. And they don't look like the picture of success. Um, so what this guy was saying, I think his name was Ed Milet, and he's a really inspirational speaker, um, is that we have to stop glamorizing the people that have made it, whatever we think making it is, and start glamorizing the people that are out there doing the work, facing the barriers, failing, um, being in the arena when no one else looks like them or talks like them, um, or has a background that they do, because I think that diversity of experience um, makes this idea of success so much richer. And um, I had this moment a few months ago where um, I'd gotten an award, and it was an award that I had wanted for so long. And when I finally got that email, I felt nothing. I felt empty. And at the same time I was in Israel, I was doing this storytelling training where we get matched with people who have disabilities and we give them coaching on public speaking. Uh, and we, and at the end of the week, they get up on stage and they tell their story. Um, and it was the first time this year that I think I'd been in this flow state where I really felt connected to someone doing something bigger than myself. I think on the journey with Sundara, so much of it has been about been about me and my story um, because that to me was success getting up there and having people listen to me and talk about my story so that I could highlight other people um, but this year I've decided that my success is going to be about supporting other people whether that's through mentorship or sharing what I've learned um, my successes and my failures with other people I really um, you know, there's this phrase, like, it takes a village to raise a kid, to build a business. Um, and to do this work, I had to stand on the shoulders of so many other people. Um, and to my idea of success this year is being someone 
who is supporting other people, someone standing on my shoulders as opposed to the other way around. And so in this way, I feel like my idea of success hasn't been linear because I get something, I think it's going to make me happy. And it actually just questions the definition of success. And then I try another route. And then I try another route. So in 2020, it might be something totally different. Um, but I try not to overwhelm myself. And I try to just focus on like, what's my goal for this year? What's my goal for these next three months? Um, that's a lot easier for me to digest than what is success in my life? Those smaller goals are usually the ones that we can more easily comprehend and accomplish. I love the story you shared. And yeah. what do you wish somebody told you? Wow, so much. Um, I was actually on a date recently and I I, um, I got a really great answer for this story. So like towards the end of 2018, I was asking everyone, people I went on dates with, Uber drivers, people I was in coffee meetings with, it's like, what is your biggest lesson from 2018? And then I'd ask them like, what's your goal or your intention for 2019? And this one guy who I went on a date with said, um, and he was very impressive. He had gone to great schools, was running this like successful startup in San Francisco. And I, he said, um, I learned that no one has it figured out. And I thought that I would graduate from Stanford with this MBA and then think, ah, I've got it all figured out. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe when I'm running a really successful company, I'll feel like I've got it all figured out because everyone else around me looks like they do. Um, and he's like, and then it finally hit me that no one knows what they're doing, that the president doesn't wake up knowing what he's doing um, and that his parents didn't know what they were doing when they were raising him and that everyone is just out there kind of trying the best they can. And everyone also has raging imposter syndrome, but society tells us to put up a front and to fake it and to pretend like we know what's going on at all times. And that leads to people feeling really isolated and insecure um, that they don't have it all figured out. And so I wish someone told me, no one else around you has it figured out and it's okay to be a mess and it's okay to question things um, and it's okay to pivot, it's okay to quit a job, it's okay to break up um, with someone that you don't feel is right, it's okay to move apartments, like whatever you want is okay. Um, and I just wish someone gave me that permission much earlier on. It's crazy that I'm like 29 and I'm just now figuring it out. Um, but I'm lucky to, to be figuring it out now. And I think there's some people that never figure it out. And that should be a daily mantra, or at least that's my new mantra. No Is one it? has it figured out. No one has it figured out and it's okay. Yeah. It's totally okay. And I think if we look at life as we're here to collect experiences along the journey that is life, we're not going to be disappointed if we can look, okay, so we might not have gotten the thing that we wanted to, um, or we might have experienced extreme heartbreak, but that in and of itself is collecting an experience and teaching ourselves something. Um, so that has also helped me too. If I just think about my day as, Oh, it's a bad thing. Well, just one more experience I've collected under my belt. One more story to tell in a podcast with Aaron. So what was one of your lessons from 2018? 
That's a great one. Um, in 2018, I moved from San Francisco back to New York. Um, when I was in San Francisco, I had a job that was pretty high profile. Um, and it paid me a lot of money and I lived in a fancy apartment and I was miserable. I was lonely. Um, my only memories of that apartment are me just coming in late at night, like doing a face dive onto my pillow and being too tired to cry. Um, and I would meet up with friends and they'd go, your life looks so glamorous. You're traveling and you have this fancy job. Um, but I couldn't say that it didn't make me happy. And so this year I made the decision to leave San Francisco and leave that job. I moved back to New York. I live in a tiny apartment. Um, I've never been more single. I've never made less money. And it's weird because I've never been happier. Um, and it's a lesson that, you know, people tell you to chase money, chase success, chase relationships, chase the fancy apartment, thinking that it will make you happy. But I chased it and it didn't. And so now I feel like I'm living a life that's a lot more in tune to my values and it feels great. So, um, so I think that's my lesson that like money, relationships, houses, they don't make you happy unless your core is really happy. And that's what you have to take care of first. Nurse. What's been your lesson? My greatest lesson in 2018, I yeah. learned so much. I loved everything you shared. I learned a lot about being a woman. Like I learned about cycle syncing. I learned about our hormones. Um, I connected more intuitively to the work that I really am here to do. And I think that was incredibly profound and I learned it at the exact right time. It's also the first time where I'm in an apartment and I was nomadic for the last five years. So having a space where I'm sleeping regularly and a partner to come home to and a stocked fridge with all of my grounding foods and foods that correlate to the different phases of my moon cycle, that has radically changed my life. So really providing the basing um, and grounding myself has, I mean, business has been successful because of it. I feel like I connect more deeply to my clients because I'm speaking from such a grounded space. I sleep yeah. regularly. I mean, that is just sleep, like everything. Everything comes down to sleep. And I wonder, and I think this is something I learned while traveling, but I just feel so much safer. Like I feel like really happy and, and I can birth more projects from it. So I learned how to ground. That's like my biggest lesson of 2018. Are there things that you miss from your nomadic lifestyle? I just had to ask. Desperately. And it's wonderful because I still get to keep those elements. I'm still traveling a good amount, not as much as I used to. Um, I'm still solo female traveling, which is I highly encourage for all beings to try. Um, yeah, I think the best version of ourselves, like our inner like archetypal goddess comes out when we travel. And I so believe, and this is why I lead so many retreats, when you remove yourself from your everyday rituals, you connect to that truest, most authentic, highest version of yourself. And I'm addicted to that version. I'm obsessed with being in that flow, 
connecting to that space. So yeah, I have a huge, I really want to go to Costa Rica. I really want to go alone. Um, so that's something I'm really excited about. And what is your intention for 2019? Ooh, um, that's great. I am someone who's very forward thinking. Uh, to the point that I'll be on a vacation and I'll be Googling places to go for my next vacation. Um, I think that's a bit problematic because that stops me from being present. And I remember we went to the uh, session on, by Eckhart Tolle and the power of now. And I have realized that whenever I have anxiety, it's because I'm not living in the present. Um, I'm always, what if? What if this doesn't work out? What if this person says something uh, instead of thinking about the here and now? So it's a reminder to whenever I'm feeling out of control to just bring myself back into the present. Um, another thing is that I went to a retreat um, in San Francisco called Hive. I highly recommend it. And I got hypnotized, which sounds like a little wonky. And it was really incredible because I realized that I wanted to be a life coach. I've had a life coach for three years, and she's been so transformative in my life. And I thought it would be just a gift if I could be that to someone else. Um, so I'm going through a training course, and it's something that I find I'm really happy to do. And I'm just really um, – I think a lot of people in our generation – for sure, you and I are, are these kinds of people. Like, we want to um, do well and also do good. And I think if you can find a job that uplifts other people while also paying the bills, um, you've hit the jackpot. And so I'm trying to infuse this in other areas of my life as well um, because there's so many ways to serve ourselves, our community, our friends, our sisters, whoever it is. And I want to be a part of that movement to just raise everyone up. A woman. I will have some of that. <laughs> Fabulous. Thanks. Yeah. You would be an incredible life coach. Thank you. I'm excited about it. Yeah. And also, I just have to say, you inspired me to do it. Um, I think I came to you with all my insecurities of why I couldn't do it or why I wasn't ready or why I wasn't enough. And you just told me, do it, go, start it. Um, so having people like you around me to really push me to do the things that I'm scared of, but scared in a good way, um, that's been really helpful. So thank you for that. Of course. And I really believe that so much guidance you can offer clearly based off this podcast. Definitely. Thank you. And if they're just for a final question, Let's say this podcast went viral and every woman heard these words. What would you want to say to these women? Ooh, that's a great question. I love this. You've asked me some questions that no one ever, no one else has, so I love this. But, um, yeah, what do I want to say to all the women out there? I would say you are enough. Um, think that our society is designed to tell everyone, but especially women, that you're not enough, that you're too young, you're too old, you're not smart enough, you're too fat, you're whatever it is, 
Um, and all these things just chip away at our self-esteem. And maybe it's part of being in a capitalist society where our insecurities drive us to be consumers in the highest sense. Um, but I just want to tell everyone that they're enough. And, and um, I just think that so much of my own struggle has been because I didn't think I was enough. And that comes from having like a wounded child that I've had to do a lot of therapy and coaching around. Uh, but I'm finally realizing that I'm enough. And another thing that I would want to say, sorry, I got to say too, is that you get the life, you get the relationship, you get what you think you deserve and you get what you'll settle for. Um, I remember I was dating someone many years ago and we broke up and I was reflecting on the breakup with my dad uh, when he was driving me to the airport. And he just said these pretty harsh words. He's like, you got the relationship you thought you deserved because I was asking him, why was this such a bad relationship? And it stung, but it was also stinging because I knew it was right. Um, and it forced me to raise my bar higher. So I just want to tell everyone out there, stop settling for less than you think you deserve. You deserve the best. Um, and go out there and get it because you are enough. Beautiful. May this be your time to shine. You are all enough. May yeah. you accept the love that you think you deserve, the job you think you deserve, the friendships, the female friendships you think you deserve. Fabulous. Erin, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. It, it, it was wonderful. If you would like to connect with Erin, I will leave all of her information in the show notes. You can find her on Instagram. You can find her Sundara website. You can find her fabulous TED Talk. And if this podcast resonated with you, please leave a comment and subscribe. If you do leave a comment, feel free to screenshot it. Send it back to me and you will be entered to win a $100 gift card to Whole Foods, Lululemon, Athleta, or Amazon. Thank you for being here and hope to hear from you soon. Bye.